Amen. If you're able, would you please uh, remain standing to honor God's Word. It comes to us from 2 Timothy. I'm going to be reading the end of this uh, letter, chapter 4, beginning at verse 16. At my first defense, Paul said, no one came to my support, but all deserted me. May it not be counted against them. But the Lord stood by me and gave me his strength so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and save me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Prissa and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus remained in Corinth. Torphimius, I left in Miletus. Do your best to come before winter. Eubulus sends greetings to you, as do Pudens and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers and sisters. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. We're concluding this series of sermons this morning, the end of what we're calling the last letter in 2 Timothy. Next week, we begin the season of Lent. And at the very end of this wonderful letter, Paul says, now remember, Paul is in prison, he's in chains. He says, at my preliminary hearing, no one stood by me. They all ran. Let us pray. Oh Lord, we ask now that your Spirit, your Holy Spirit, would speak and be our teacher. For these words are yours. They are eternal. They're never changing. And so thus it is you who should speak them. We pray our minds and ears might be open to hear your still small voice. Amen. In Paul's final words, in what may have been his final letter, he tells young Timothy that when he needed people the most, they scattered, they abandoned him. We know from this letter that Paul had good Christian friends, he had co-laborers, he had a church community around him, he cared for many, many cared for him, and yet when the pressure closed in on Paul, he says, no one was there to stand with me. We might ask, why did Paul bring this up to Timothy? Was he looking for sympathy? Was he trying to shame the Christians who had ran and catch them in their fear? I've heard that one of the most painful experiences we can have in this life is to feel abandoned by those who are close to us, those who are supposed to love us. Jesus experienced abandonment when he was on the cross in his anguish and he cried out, Many of us have felt the hurt and pain that comes by a loved one who was not there when we needed them, by letting us down. Perhaps Paul is just being realistic here and just letting Timothy know this experience was painful. I felt this. This is what happened. To be let down by others is to be human. We've all been there in some shape or fashion. But I wonder if this is a particular kind of pain because these are people that Paul had walked with and baptized and prayed with 
and, and shared life with. They'd been through trial. They'd been through so much. It was the church, after all. Shouldn't we be connected in a, in a different kind of way as baptized believers connected to one another, bonded together? How could they abandon me? This morning, I want to look at Paul's response to this because I, I think it's remarkable. You know, when I think about this, Paul could have had several responses. He could have said, you know what, the church just hurt me, and so I'm going to deconstruct. This is kind of a catchphrase in today's world. I'm going to deconstruct. I, I, I've been treated badly, so I'm going to rethink this whole faith thing for a few years. I'm going to stop going to church. I'm going to read some far out there books. I'm going to get into all kinds of things like yoga and transcendental meditation. I'm going to try that. And um, I'm going to warn everybody. I'm going to warn everybody about how toxic and bad the church can be and how they hurt people. I'm going to name that. He could have, he, you know, he could have done that. He could have just told everyone, I'm so disappointed in the church. How could they? He could have lashed out. He could have named names. He could have become bitter and angry. He could have said, you know what I'm going to do now? I'm going to start a new church. And in my church, it's none of these scaredy cats. I'm only going to have followers that are authentic and who are really committed. And they won't be able to hurt me like this again. And staff, I'm only going to hire family members and make sure I'll safeguard this so they have to stay near me and with me. He could have just pouted. That's what Paul could have done. He just could have pouted and been like Jonah under the unpredictable plan. He could have just pouted and said, God, this isn't fair. I don't like this. It's just, just totally not fair. That's not what Paul did. Instead, Paul said, I really hope that God doesn't count this against them. It's grace. Forgiveness. He was praying for them, those who hurt him, those who left him. Paul had some measure of understanding of why this happened. He didn't want anything ill to come to them. He was charitable. All pastors can tell you stories of times and tales of abandonment within their flock. Parishioners sometimes walk away. Each pastor can tell you a time when someone that they prayed with, cried with, shared life with, baptized, married, simply walked away and vanished. And that hurts. It's, it's very hard not to take that personally, I have to tell you. Sometimes you'll see people in the, at the supermarket or something and there's that awkward like thing where they left. You don't know what to say. But let's be honest for a moment. Sometimes pastors are the ones that don't hold up their end of the relationship either, right? I know I have failed on many occasions. I know I have not made the phone call when I should have, when someone was hurting or didn't make the hospital visit or didn't acknowledge the pain or taught a class with crazy ideas on politics and left everybody annoyed in the church. <laughs> the staff, Lynn, Lynn knows this very well, the staff knows that sometimes um, there's this thing, they, they say, I, I check out. <laughs> Why are you laughing? <laughs> 
And I get lost in my own head, in my own thoughts. And sometimes it'll happen in the middle of a meeting, and like I'm not even there. Or sometimes it's right before worship or right after worship. I, I just have, I don't know why this is, but I get it. And, and maybe if someone needs me, maybe, you know, the, that, that is what it is. I don't know why it is, but that's who your pastor is. <laughs> I could make all kinds of excuses, but sometimes it feels like I wasn't there for you. At my first hearing, Paul says... The church failed me. Paul's being realistic. I don't think he's trying to shame anyone. I think he's just stating a fact. The people of God are fallible. We all have all kinds of mixed motives. None of us are perfect. I don't care how well-meaning or good your church community is. Sooner or later, it will hurt you. It won't mean to, but a call will be forgotten, a gesture will be mistaken, a harsh word will be spoken, an email will forgot to be sent, a friend won't call and reach out, a decision will be made that you disagree with, and you will feel let down. That's the church. It was true in Paul's day. It's true today. And that's why Paul's response to this is so vital and critical and important. May it not be counted against them. Grace, forgiveness, prayer. He wasn't expecting the church and the community to be everything. He understood that it will often, because it is a frail and human gathering, fail to be there. This is Paul's response to hurt. But I also think there's something more going on here that's quite remarkable. Remember, Paul is now alone in his prison cell. Talk about lonely. In that cold cell, he can't move and go out and do anything. He's all alone. Loneliness is no small thing. Feelings of loneliness and abandonment can cripple us. I was driving around last Saturday, and I was listening to NPR on the radio, and they had a story about a woman in her 20s. She's being interviewed, and she said she was going through a very lonely season of her life, so she thought she would try an AI, artificial intelligence friend. You know this is a thing now. Artificial intelligence. You can create this through your computer. Um, so step one, she created the friend. She gave him a name. And then this computer and she started having dialogue. How was your day? How are things going? Feeling questions back and forth. This computer seemed to be interested in her life. Um, she soon discovered that she was talking with this friend for six to eight hours a day. She said it was so helpful to have someone who would listen and ask questions. Now, she did confess that it had some limitations, right? The computer couldn't remember things long-term <laughs> and sometimes had to be reminded of things that they had talked about back there and so had to be kind of reset and say, remember, so they had to start that conversation up again. Here's another limitation. She had to initiate and begin every conversation, right? you got to turn on the computer. You have to wake it up or talk to it. 
I would think that would be a big limitation. Why? Because deep down, you're having talk, but deep down she knew, she has to know, that this person, thing she's talking to, does not care. Doesn't care. Has no capacity to care. That's a big problem. <laughs> that's a big problem. And that's where we are as a society. So lonely, so starved, that we'll even engage in dialogue with a thing that really doesn't care for us at the end of the day. It's all born out of loneliness. And I think about that, and I think about how lonely Paul must have been in that prison cell, and how radically different his experience was. Listen to what he said, verse 17. But the Lord stood by me and gave me strength so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and save me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. This is a wonderful testimony. Paul says, in that lonely, abandoned place, I discovered something. The Lord was actually there with me. He stood with me. Jesus Christ is a very precious and personal friend. He cares. He doesn't have to be reset. He doesn't have to be reminded of things. He initiates conversation. He is strong and caring. He'll go so far as to his, with his care as to actually lay his life down for you. That's the kind of friend he is. That's the kind of care that runs so deep. Have you ever been awake at three in the morning, tossing and turning, staring at the ceiling? Show of hands, how many of you ever tossing? Worried, stressed, right? You know who's also up at 3 a.m. with you? Right there? He's awake. He's ready. He's able. I think one of the big, big problems I think we're going to have to figure out as a society right now is that cell phones, smartphones have given us the illusion that we are always connected to somebody else. All the time. It's always going off. It's in my pocket. It's always going off. At night, it's right by my bedstand, and I, I have this illusion that I'm connected to people, and I, I can't wait for the next message or the next post, and so I'm always feeling like I am connected. I'm always online. I, I think this is a huge problem for our teenagers, but as we go on, it's kind of affecting all of us. And why is that bad? Because we're never alone. We don't know sometimes how to be alone, how to, how to deal with loneliness. We don't know how to deal with it. And it's a false illusion that we're connected to other people. We're really not in that way. And if we can't be alone, how are we going to discover and know that the Lord stands near, that He's close? How are we going to know? The theologian and pastor John Piper writes this. He says, in my bedroom at 122 Bradley Boulevard, Greenville, South Carolina, there was a single bed where I slept 
as a young boy, and at the foot of the bed there was a painting of a boy standing at the helm of a ship, and a storm was raging in the sea. The waves were breaking over the side of the boat. The wind was whipping the boy's hair. His hands were tied on the wheel of the ship, and he was looking straight ahead into the storm. It was a picture full of adventure and danger and challenge, and standing by the boy's side was Jesus, <coughs> large and strong and serious his hand on the boy's shoulder, and he looked very much in charge. He says, every night I went to bed with that picture as the last thing I saw. And I came to believe it. The Lord stands by me. In every storm, his hand is on my shoulder. How are we going to know? And we need to know. This is the most powerful thing we can know or experience in this life is that the Lord is standing near, that he is with us right now, with us. This is the crux of the message that Paul was telling Timothy. Your life here and all of the dramas and storms are but a sliver of time in the scheme of your life in serving God. No matter what the hardship you will face, it will be insignificant and meaningless in comparison to the great gift you will receive as part of the kingdom of heaven. You remember the last things that Jesus said, his last words? Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I commanded. And then what did he say? I will be with you always. Sometimes we forget that. It's a promise. I will be with you, he said. We need to know this. We need to know this. How are we going to know this unless we come acquainted with being alone and quiet? This is the way God works. And this is the remarkable thing. This is the remarkable thing about the gospel, about the good news. Loneliness can be transformed and an opportunity for something remarkable to happen. It can be a wonderful sacred space, a prison cell, an apartment room, a bedroom, a park bench. It can be sacred and wonderful if we know that the Lord is standing near. Paul in that prison cell was attentive, waiting, talking, praying, listening, experiencing God's presence. And that can come to all of us. That place became a place of strength. The Lord was standing near. Some of you might remember the name Bill and Gloria Gaither. They were, if you've been around long enough, they were back in the 60s and 70s. They wrote a lot of Christian music. They were kind of on the leading edge of contemporary Christian music. Um, wrote some amazing songs. And one song that Gloria wrote in the late 1960s came while she was expecting a child. The couple was going through some terrible problems. Bill had been seriously sick. Their music had been attacked. Many people were criticizing their music as not spiritual enough. And on New Year's Eve night, Gloria sat in a dark room experiencing a time of torment and fear. She said, I sat alone in the darkness thinking about the rebellious world and all of our problems and about our baby yet unborn. Who in their right mind would bring a child into a world like this, she thought. 
She was at the height of her fear, and then something happened. She said, I can't quite explain what happened in that moment, but suddenly I felt released from it all. The panic that had begun to build inside was gently dispelled by a reassuring presence and a soft voice that kept saying, don't forget the empty tomb. Don't forget the empty tomb. She said, I was reassured. And then I knew I could have that baby and face the future with optimism and trust. For I had been reminded that it was all worth it because he lives. And then she began to write. How sweet to hold a newborn baby and feel the pride and joy he gives. But greater still, the calm assurance this child can face on certain days because he lives. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future and life is worth the living just because he lives. I suspect that some of us arrived here this morning with a big ache, a painful ache of loneliness. And maybe it's a loneliness that you just didn't choose, it was just thrust upon you. Life circumstance. Maybe some of you feeling abandoned. They walked out on me. Well, the message is direct and it's clear and it's wonderful. The Lord stands near. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, let us pray. Father, we are grateful for Paul and his wonderful example of forgiveness, but also the way he experienced your presence. We're thankful mostly, however, for you, our Lord and Savior, for how you stand near us. You promise to always be with us, that we can talk with you and pray to you, experience your hand on our shoulder and your strength. We're so grateful this day. Help us to believe, Father, all this wonderful news is true. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.